Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the second episode of It Never Rains on this podcast. Uh, I'm Hithliday. I'm the managing editor uh, for Addicted to Quack, its website. Uh, joining me this week is Adam Holland, one of the great writers for ATQ. Adam, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, this is my first time doing a podcast, so uh, hopefully the listeners can bear with me a little bit. Uh, All right. A little shaky. But, well, uh, writing about the ducks, it's always good getting your feet wet, uh, yeah. so to speak, although it does never rain on this podcast, so I don't know how you'd find that. So uh, you've mainly been covering uh, the men's basketball team, which just wrapped up their regular season, and the Pac-12 tournament is coming up. Uh, why don't you get us started? Uh, general thoughts on the season? Well, the season's really been um, kind of like a game of, of which team's going to show up at this point. Uh, since I've been covering them early in the season, I uh, had a lot of had a lot of uh, doubts about this team moving forward, heading into December. I was encouraged by how they played against Baylor, and I think after that game, uh, even though they lost and they put up such a good fight, that they really began to click. Um, you saw that because they ended up winning ten of eleven games. It's the kind of uh, streak that we've seen from Altman teams often in the past. It's, it's nothing new. It was occurring a little earlier in the season because generally he gets teams going around February or March. Uh, this year, for whatever reason, though, it seems to have uh, uh, flipped the script. And um, this team is struggling down the stretch. Uh, part of that, we have uh, new information now that uh, Will Richardson uh, may be suffering from uh, concussion. Mm. Um, he was uh, injured. He was hit in the head in the uh, close loss to USC. Um, he got hit in the first half and uh, struggled mightily that game. Um, didn't hit a shot from the floor. Only had a couple points off free throws. And uh, you saw uh, similar similar things from him. Um, he he put up zero points uh, in their last game against Washington State. Um, he he struggled a lot against Washington. The same. It really seems like he's kind of bottoming out right now, unfortunately, which this time of year, it's always great to have kind of like a, you know, a Joseph Young or a Peyton Pritchard to really up their game and be like the leader and the man on the team. I did uh, state in my last article that I, I didn't think that he was showing right now that he can be that kind of guy. Um, still props to him. He's been a great player for UO. He's one of only a handful of players to play all four years and score over a thousand points in his career. Um, heading into the Pac-12 tournament, uh, which starts on Wednesday, that he is listed as uncertain at this point. Um, I wouldn't think that they would need him necessarily even playing to beat Oregon State. Um, 
trying not to be too biased just because I'm a duck, but Oregon State has pretty much been a seller team the entire season. Yeah, boy. And what defeating a, them should you know, realistically. For anybody be who's beating themselves up about being a Ducks fan and like, oh, woe is me, you know, this horrible season that they've had in men's basketball and women's basketball and the football team, you know, like because they sort of had disappointing ends to the regular season. You know, there there's still teams that won like the vast majority of their games and uh, you know, like think what it would be like to be a Beavers fan, man. Like, you know, they just extended Wayne Tinkle and then, oh my God, the team just completely collapsed, you know, like, yeah, man, I think you're lucky stars. You're not a Beavers fan. <laughs> I do. I do. I really do. I was even telling myself that I said, you know, it could be worse. Um, I definitely uh, think that Oregon state uh, saw something major in Tinkle last year, decided to extend him after that huge run. And unfortunately it has really just come back to bite them. Uh, heading into Wednesday's game, <clears throat> Uh, it's a matinee game, and uh, Will Richardson may not be playing. It has all the setup, you know, of Oregon potentially playing down to the level of their opponent again. I really hope for once that that's not going to be the case. Um, I know a lot of us right now don't have a huge amount of confidence in their ability to, to win out like they did a few years ago in 2019 and get that automatic bid. Um, you can never say never when it comes to a Dana Altman coach team. Unfortunately, just um, I think defensively, they've just kind of lost their way at this point. Uh, teams are putting up more and more points on them. Uh, their perimeter defense really just has been shoddy to say the best. And uh, yeah, and it's 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 tough. Um, but uh, like I said, with with Altman, it's, it's it's never certain things. So there's always potential for a little something to go on here coming in the conference tournament. We'll have to see how they respond on, on Wednesday. You know, the, the Wazoo game that they finished with, Slurms uh, wrote the article on that one. Um, uh, you know, I, I think he got it right. Or it was like, I didn't actually think that Oregon was playing terribly um, up in Pullman. It was just like they they were unconscious from the three-point line, you know. And, and sometimes that just happens, you know. Like the other team's just like, you know, I don't know who's played like rec league basketball or anything. Like there are just some days where you are hot and you can't miss and it doesn't really mean anything about your defense. And, and you know what, you're not going to have it tomorrow. Uh, so shoot them while you got them. You know, I, I actually, you know, wasn't sweating that Wazoo game, even though I was disappointing. The one that I was sweating just like, what the hell is going on uh, is the one that you did cover from last week is the, the Washington game in Seattle broke the streak of uh, just owning Seattle, both men and the women. Um, if you had to put it in one sense, like what was going on in that game? Like that, you know, that if there's a game that gives me pause about beating the cellar dweller of the Beavers on Wednesday, it's that one. Like, cause Washington's not a great team either. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> honestly, if I was going to sum up their performance from last Thursday, I just I put it in the one word. I would say lackadaisical. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one thing I've just kind of noticed and unfortunately been questioning about this team all season long is just uh, where their heads are at. I think um, they had a three-game stretch where they played some of their best basketball, and unfortunately it resulted in only one out of three games being won. However, you know they, they took two top – 15 teams right to the wire before losing to them and beat another. And I think um, after that stretch, maybe they just kind of like had a sense of let down and, you know, that'll happen. It, it's, it's common, but um, 
the better teams, uh, they, they regroup, they regroup mentally and they understand what they still have left to accomplish. And they understand that each game matters. And so, um, unfortunately, yeah, from them, that's kind of what I was seeing, um, on Thursday, like you said on, on Saturday, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Um, if Washington state's going to shoot that well, then, then it's, it's hard to stay in the game, but Thursday, I think really just came down to a, a, a a sense of kind of they're just feeling bad about themselves. They're just kind of like, oh, well, we had our shot. We blew it. What's there left to accomplish? Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to ask you to like travel back in time mentally because, you know, last week on the podcast, I was talking to Slurman's Matt Court and we were talking about like, you know, even if this was before they played Washington, Washington State, uh, and we were like, okay, even if they don't win the tournament and get the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament, I kind of like the way that they're situated if they finish the season strong, you know, win the Washington swing. And then, you know, I, I actually somewhat perversely said, you know, I'd like them to get a tough draw in the Pac-12 tournament because it feels like this team plays up to their high level competition and that, you know, the season that they had, if they finish the regular season strong and then finish the Pac-12 tournament, like maybe beat, a you know, one or two good teams and then lose to like, you know, Arizona in the semifinals or something like that. Um you know, that, that I kind of like, and maybe some chaos happens in, in other parts of the country, you know, like Louisville and Virginia, you know, have it stumble in the ACC tournament, like uh, that I liked Oregon's chances to get into the tournament, but that's all predicated on them finishing the regular season strong. And then of course they didn't do that. Let me ask you your, your opinion. If they had beat Washington, Washington state, like they were supposed to, do you think that that, that this team could have made the tournament um, even without winning the PAC 12? I think that they definitely had an outside chance. <clears throat> um, I alluded to after they played UCLA, uh, they had uh, Joe Lenardi on there talking about Oregon's chances. He's kind of ESPN's expert bracketologist. He said uh, that if they were to at least get a split between the LA schools, sweep the Washington schools, and then make it at least to the uh, the semifinals or the finals of the Pac-12 tournament, he could he could definitely see them being one of the last four in. Um, so I think that, yes, I think given Oregon's track record, I, th- I think there's two things that play into this when, when you're talking their chances of, of, of making it as a bubble team. I think it's their track record. You look at their track record, and this is a team – that since 2013 has missed the NCAA tournament one time. Uh, Altman has been extremely consistent in getting them there and um, getting them not only into the tournament, but they've, they've a lot of times made runs they seemingly had no business making. The other thing that factors into it, of, of course, is, is Oregon's uh, marketability and how, mm. how they're perceived by the rest of the country. Unfortunately, you know, that, that, that always comes into play. Uh, we've, we've seen it a lot in college football. We see it a lot in college basketball. But it can, it can be in Oregon's favor because they'd rather have, you know, a, a primetime matchup with a school with, with flashy Nike uniforms that everybody, you know, kind of knows about their, their coach and whatnot than, you know, maybe like a smaller college that has a similar type record that's, that's, that's not as marketable. So I think for those two reasons, they did have a very good shot at getting in as a bubble team. Had they handled their business against the Washington schools, unfortunately, we just did not see that happen. See, that's the thing that baffles me, though, because, you know, that's my take, too. And you got to figure that's what 
they thought, you know, that you got to figure they thought they had an NCAA tournament bid to play for. And then they still came out flat in Seattle, you know, like, you know, if, if fans always go to like, what's the motivation? What are they playing for? And I, I'm like, they were still playing for a lot and that that was their performance. And that's what, you know, really gives me pause about the game on Wednesday is like, man, you know, if that's how they played in Seattle when they had something on the line and now they don't, I mean, let's be honest, they don't like, like, oh man, like I'm, it kind of makes me worried. I mean, I'm going to watch the game like I always do, but like, whew, you know, there's a little extra stress factor playing the 12 seed out of 12. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Now, especially considering what we just saw last year um, with Oregon pretty much easily handling Oregon State to end yeah. the regular season and wrap up the regular season Pac-12 championship. And then when they met them in the uh, the tournament, they just, they just looked flat. Oregon yeah. State looked more motivated. They just looked more... Uh, serious about you know hanging on to their season and, well, and they did that maybe it was a con job maybe maybe Alton was taking one from the team to get Oregon State because that was the the beginning of the legend of Wayne Tinkle was that game you know maybe they were you know playing the long game uh to, to get <laughs> Oregon State to go all in on him it, could, right, it could, could be let's switch over and talk about the the women's side we, we don't have any basketball to cover for the women because they're even though they stagger you know their their tournament a week earlier than the men like their the their selection shows not till the same day march 13th so that you know there's no basketball to cover they uh they it went almost exactly the way that slurms and i uh, discussed last week and that you know utah you know uh beat w- the higher seeded wazoo team um you know we ex- we, we sort of thought that was going to happen because Utah was on a run um, and that you didn't want to play a team on a run. Sure enough, that's what happened with Oregon. Like, I don't know. I, I sort of feel like unlike the men's team where it's a real head scratch or what's going on because they'll play phenomenally and then they'll play just complete garbage ball, like sometimes in the same week. Um, the women, I feel like, are pretty much always the same team, and that's just like a B-plus team. Um, and so, you know, losing to Utah on a hot streak in semifinals, you know, I didn't really have any hopes that that team was going to beat Stanford because that team just looks like a juggernaut this year. And so I sort of like, I wasn't too broken up about it. It didn't surprise me or anything. Was that your take too? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think kind of from the women uh, what we saw is is actually it, it's eerily similar to what the men have experienced this year. Um, I think you you saw them very early in the season go into the battle for Atlantis. Uh, they they pulled out a nice win against Oklahoma to start that. Uh, they they then had to face the number one team in the country, South Carolina, who throttled them. Um, but then the the you know you were thinking how they were going to bounce back from that. Uh, unfortunately, the way they bounced back from that was. Then losing again to close out the battle for Atlantis to South Florida, losing to UC Davis. Um, I think they kind of began to hit their stride um, in January. I think that that uh, overtime win against Arizona really bolstered them. And you could see that they, you know, they followed it up by taking care of UConn, which, I mean, let's face it, that's probably the most, one of the most legendary programs in women's college basketball history, if not just women's basketball history, period. Uh, Taking care of them, they had a nice win streak going. I think uh, for the women, what kind of uh, dealt a, 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 unfortunately, a psychological blow to them uh, was the game in Tucson. Uh, I think that 
because of what transpired uh, between Graves and the Arizona head coach, I think all the you know all the media attention that was getting, all the uh, you know revenge hype that that Arizona had about that, and then you know how Oregon was going to handle that, and unfortunately how they handled it was you know Arizona pretty much beat them handily, and I think since then this team has kind of struggled to find their identity because there has definitely been some games where they've looked sharp, but then they continue to seem to follow it up with games where they're just kind of like, just not, they don't look themselves. And um, I think right now it's, it's a matter of being a a little bit patient with the women's basketball team. Um, Obviously we're, we're still, you know, only a couple years removed from the, the greatest Oregon women's team we've ever seen and, and, and possibly ever will see with, you know, some of those legendary players. Um, but I think one thing to hang on to as we uh, head into, you know, their, their NCAA selection show is can they do what that team was able to do in 2017, which is kind of go in as, you know, not somebody that's being expected to make a huge run and make a big run because of the play of their young players. And I think there is potential for Oregon to do that uh, for it's, sure. It's definitely an interesting team. Like I, I you know, the, the thing that stresses me out watching the, I, I am both stressed out and not stressed out when I watch the Oregon women's basketball team. The thing that doesn't stress me out is that, you know, as as you said, they do, you know, there was sort of a trajectory to the season, certainly, you know, they played better as it goes on. It seems to be a trend in Oregon basketball or really just college basketball in general. Uh, but that, you know, I felt like they were they were beating the teams they were supposed to beat. They were struggling against the teams they were supposed to struggle against. Like if you just look down their record, it's like they don't really have any you know, they have one or two, but not a lot of head scratching losses. And, you know, they, they don't have a whole lot of like, you know, hang your hat wins either. You know, that's why I just characterize them as sort of a steady B plus team. I think we expected given the, the roster for it to be more than a B plus team, but you know, that's just who they were. And, the, but the thing that like distressed me and one of the reasons I think they're a B plus and not an A team is that there's no interior penetration on this team. Like there's no pick and roll game. Nobody's comfortable driving to the hoop. Everybody takes two steps and then pulls back, you know, and shoots an eight foot jumper, you know, or something like that. You know what I'm talking talking about like absolutely and um and 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 considering considering the size that they have uh particular particularly with prince down there um that she, she should open the gates for some of the guards and forwards to drive to the hoop just because of you know the, the the threat of her in the paint and um yeah i absolutely agree it's it's if there's one thing that uh, the former, you know, women's teams of the past have been able to do. It's it's compensate for nights where they weren't shooting particularly hot by attacking the basket. Yeah, especially um, because there's a lot of games that I watch in which the uh, opponent is, they're not in foul trouble and the opponent is. And it's like, drive, man. Like, that the situation is calling for, and they're not, you know, particularly great shooting from, from distance. Like, you know... It, you're, the the way the rules are set up, the way that the you know the the officiating structure is, you're supposed to you know get aggressive in situations like that, and you know like aggression is sort of this great catch all term in sports, and I don't love using it, but in this 
circumstance, I really think it's appropriate. It's just like there just didn't seem to be any killers on this team. Like that's sort of my my greater criticism for the Oregon women's basketball team this season is like, you know, where's your killer mindset? Where's your like, I'm going to get this done. Where's your I'm going to, you know, drive to the hoop and, and draw a foul and get three points on this play. You know what I mean? I do. Definitely. And um, one player in particular that um, I think needs to step up and hopefully we will see step up. And, you know, you can kind of take it with a grain of salt because she's actually been a very productive player. Um, However, just like given what she did as a freshman, I really think Tahina Papal needs to kind of step up into that into that leader role as we move forward here. Um, once we once we got you know more into like um, the sophomore season, Sabrina showed us how much difference that point guard position can make when you have like a true leader stepping up, and you know it it, it works across the board. Uh, having a leader point guard is always something in basketball that you're going to see lead to success, and um, I think Tina has absolutely that raw skill and that raw talent to get it done. You saw that in what she accomplished in her freshman season. And I really hope that uh, heading into their NCAA tournament selection, that we can see that out of her. We can see her step up a little bit more on the big stage. Obviously, we already know what Sedona Prince is capable of. You know, we've seen her for a couple years. We know that she you know, has, has, has been able to be like the, the driving force for Oregon women's basketball. But I really want to see that one-two punch um, come forward, kind of like Ruthie and Sabrina used to have. And I really think that it's Tahina that needs to uh, kind of become that, that uh, second second punch on that combo there. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, some Diamond Ducks and football recruiting. Okay, uh, let's run down how the uh, the Ducks on baseball and softball have been doing. Um, uh, we uh, have had some great coverage on the site uh, from Badwater and Slurms. Uh, the uh, the baseball team uh, just wrapped up a four game series against UC Santa Barbara. Not a bad team at all. Uh, they start they split the series, uh, two wins, two losses. Um, bats have cooled down a little bit. That was probably inevitable given they were putting up like 25, 21 runs. Um, actually, the, the the baseball team didn't do a bad job of scoring uh, against UC Santa Barbara. That you know they they got three runs, four runs, four runs, five runs. And, you know, it was generally enough to win baseball games. Um, uh, but, you know, they just let some runs get away from them in the last two games on Saturday and Sunday, uh, five and seven. And uh, I'm not sure it means much. You know, see, they're still getting started, uh, still getting their legs out uh, on them. Um, they, uh, they've got a singleton game on uh, Tuesday. We're recording on Monday night, so that's tomorrow, uh, against the Portland Pilots uh, uh, in PK Park. A uh, game will be on Pac-12 Insider. Um, uh, the, uh, 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 and then they, uh, have a three game road trip to start out conference play, uh, against Stanford. Um, and, uh, Slurms is going to be writing a, uh, a preview of conference play. Uh, if you missed it, go back and read his, uh, write up of the Carolina swing on the, on the softball side. Uh, just a fantastic, absolutely fantastic write up. I, I'm, I'm really happy, um, with his work and for anybody who missed a game, like, it was okay because Slurm's got you covered and, and he's going to uh, set you up for, for uh, baseball uh, season conference play. Uh, on the softball side, 
Um, the, the Ducks, uh, uh, like I said, had the Carolina swing, which they uh, played fantastically. Um, they they uh, won all five games in their trip. They had a singleton uh, against North Carolina Greensboro, which within a pretty exciting finish, uh, uh, they went to, to 10 innings, which is three more than regular for softball, uh, but uh, really blew it open, uh, multiple home run performance. Um, it was funny, Slurms and I were talking last week about how we were worried about Oregon uh, softball's offense and the bats were a little cold and they didn't have any long ball. And then, then this whole weekend was just nothing but home runs, you know, exciting stuff. Uh, they blew out Penn state 12 to four. They blew out Connecticut both times. They played them nine to one, nine to three. They blew out North Carolina, the actual host of the Carolina classic, uh, nine to one. Um, uh, just a ton of offense, a really great performance. I, you know, really looks like the, uh, Oregon duck softball team sitting at stride. Uh, they are, uh, this weekend, um, this coming weekend, are uh, have a, a joint hosted tournament uh, with Oregon State. Um, there, uh, there's uh, Portland State, and also of all things, North Dakota State uh, is in town. Uh, Jane Sanders is going to host five games. Uh, uh, the first two games will be Portland State, and North Dakota State, and next one's Oregon State and North Dakota State. But you can go to those games, uh, watch some good baseball because the nightcap. Uh, is Oregon against Portland State. Uh, uh, should be fun playing the Vikes. Uh, and then they have a doubleheader on Saturday uh, against the Bison of uh, North Dakota State um, uh, starting at 11, and then the second one's uh, slated for uh, 1.30. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, those on the site uh, because I don't know uh, how you feel about it, uh, uh, Adam, but there's a small possibility that Oregon men's basketball night might be playing on Friday or Saturday. So got to have something to talk about, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, well, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, the bridge that we've already uh, crossed is a great article that you wrote uh, about uh, how Oregon football recruiting is going. We're sort of in a, a weird limbo. We've already passed uh, uh, both early signing day and regular signing day, but the 2023 mm-hmm. season uh, recruiting season has already begun. Um, in fact, this is about the time when you start to lock in the tent poles of your football recruiting class. Um, and and uh, Oregon's looking pretty good for two uh, five stars uh, why don't you talk about them? Yeah. Um, well, the nice thing um, about uh, Dan Lanning is that similar to Cristobal, he seems to be a very outgoing, um, you know, kind of family oriented guy that uh, can really connect with these recruits on, on, on that kind of level. And so um, even though we're kind of, you know, we, we, we entered this uh, recruiting cycle in a little bit of flux because of you know, how much the coaching staff was changing, um, I think that Lanning and his staff have already done a pretty good job. And uh, we're, we're seeing them, the good thing is we're seeing them start to get um, some interest from, like you said, some some true five-star recruits, some real blue chippers. Uh, one of them is Riley Williams. Um, he is actually from Central Catholic, so he's an uh, in, in-state prospect. He's rated as um, the nation's number four tight end. Um, he is set uh, to visit. Um, he's, he's, he's setting up an Oregon visit soon. Um, Riley is, uh, he's a beast. Um, he's a, you know, six foot six, 230 pounds. Um, he's, uh, taking trips to some of the other schools that have already offered him like Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Miami, you know, where Cristobal is now, obviously. So we're going to be competing against him, Ohio state, uh, you know, Michigan, obviously all these big schools are, are, are taking note from him. I think, uh, that, that a, a huge advantage Oregon could have, is the fact that he is an in-state boy. He's, you know, he's already from, 
state. Um, he probably like knows U of O relatively well just from living in the state and what they're about. Um, I think what it'll take really to get him there is, like I said, is just for, for uh, Lanning and his staff to, to really sell him on like, yeah, if you stay here, you could have a chance at getting to the college football playoff. You could have a chance at really making a name for yourself and then becoming a high NFL draft pick. Um, I think it's, it's definitely a huge area of need for Oregon. Um, they have lacked that consistent um, kind of like go-to tight end uh, for the last few years. I think for the last few seasons, we, we kept hoping and hoping uh, that it would be Cam McCormick that could really mm-hmm. develop into that kind of tight end because he, he came in with all the physical tools necessary to do that. But un- unfortunately, for, you know, and you have to feel for the guy, he just has not been able to stay healthy. And, um, the, you know, the, the injuries that he keeps suffering – um, I think it's so. I think it's definitely important to really try to you know shell up that that go to tight end. Definitely, Oregon needs a quarterback. Every team does. I'm not really sure the tight the the quarterback was really the issue with the tight end. I think it's just the structure of Joe Moorhead's offense. Like he just wasn't running uh, tight ends out. Like you know, I, I actually really liked watching uh, the two true freshmen th- this last year, um, Ferguson and Matavau. I, I think from what I've done so far, film study of Kenny Billingham's you know offenses, um, you know, it's really tight end pass friendly. Um, and yeah, like I, I feel like you know. Uh, getting Riley Williams on campus, you know, is important. He's, you know, obviously grew up in Oregon. Uh, but like, you know, I think the other big thing is just, you know, Oregon could have a really good year throwing the ball to the tight ends. Um, and, you know, an offense is tight end friendly, you know, hey, hey, those guys want to catch balls. Like they don't just want to be the sixth offensive lineman. Uh, speaking of offensive linemen, how do you think Oregon's shaping up for Josh Connerly? Um, again, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's going to be a battle. And unfortunately, I think it, it, it will be a battle, um, a lot with, um, our former coach. Um, but, uh, at the end of the day, I, I think what it will come down to is, um, kind of like the, the ability to sell him on Oregon's importance of utilizing the offensive line, um, I think that when you were able to see uh, Panay Sewell and the the success that he was able to have at Oregon and stand out that much as an offensive lineman, that I think that'll be a, a, a big deciding point for Connolly. I think that he he realizes you know the, the attention that he's getting and everything, and I think that he also realizes that if you know, he's going to go to a school. He does want to go to one where, you know, they're going to, they're going to pound it behind him. They're going to really want to like, you know, shove that ball down the throat. Now um, the question is, is uh, Kenny, uh, Kenny Dillingham, is, is he going to utilize enough of that? Is, is, is he going to utilize enough of the, uh, the smash mouth football to the point where Connolly thinks that he will be able to, you know, to be kind of that guy that can, that can plow over people and get these running backs into the end zone. Or, you know, is, is he going to think that it's more of kind of like a spread thing where it's, it's, it's just all about, you know, the quarterback getting out of the pocket and, uh, you know, kind of the, the bang, bang offense that we've seen from Oregon in the past. So I do think that that's, that's going to play heavily on it um, and how they're able to convince him that he is, in fact, going to be like 
an integral part of, of what they're trying to accomplish offensively. Well, it just strikes me, you know, I, I think probably the biggest advantage that Oregon has is that, it, you know, he's a West Coast guy and, you know, w- what are you going to do pl- if you're from Washington, play for Washington? Like that team's a dumpster fire. You know, what are you going to do, <laughs> play for USC? Like that, you know, both USC in recent years and Lincoln Riley's teams, you know, not great offensive line factories. Oregon has been an offensive line factory. You know, if he wants to stay, you know, close to home and play for a serious offensive line team, he's pretty much got one option. That's why, you know, I, I think that Oregon's got pretty good odds for Josh Connerly. And then the other one who might be a tentpole for the class is uh, Nico Imaleva, the, uh, the five-star quarterback, you know, maybe the, the, the top quarterback in the class, if there wasn't a guy named Manning. Um, it's uh, I think it's really shaping up well for, for Oregon. Um, you know, uh, him looking up to Marcus Mariota, you know, I, I definitely remember a day in which I wasn't sure what exactly what Oregon's recruiting pitch was, you know, like if you're like described yourself as a longtime Oregon fan, you're like, who, you know, what, like, oh, you're, you got Dan Fouts posters on your, on your wall. You're really into Norm Van Brocklin, you know, and like, you know, one of the nice things and sort of like bewildering things for a longtime Oregon fan is that like, there are kids who want to play for Oregon who only remember Oregon as a national caliber team. Um, and like, boy, I don't know about you, but that knocks my socks off. What do you think about it? Yeah. Um, I, I, I stated in, in the article before that, um, I did think, uh, that, that he really, even though he, he hasn't gone into detail about it, that he is, strongly considering Oregon. Um, I do think that Oregon has the edge in that. Um, if you, if you look back, um, even in, you know, the, the Mike Bellotti era, uh, Oregon had great success, um, recruiting from the islands. You always saw like a, you know, a, a, a big influx of, uh, Polynesian athletes, uh, coming to U of O, uh, you saw them have great measures of success. Now, granted, a, a lot of that success was being had, uh, by offensive and defensive linemen. You know, you, you, you saw that over the years. Um, but to your point, I do think uh, Mariota really helped flip the script on that, um, not just because um, of him being, you know, like a transcendent quarterback for the U of O, um, who almost, you know, like w- w- with the injuries and the suspensions that were piling up toward the end of the 2014 season, he almost, you know, had to had to carry that team. And um, had they not run into, unfortunately, you know, one of the most stacked Ohio State teams of the past 15 years, <laughs> he, he, he may well could have gotten them a national title. And so to get that kind of notoriety, to get the Heisman um, and have that where you're like, look, look what this, you know, this uh, kid from Hawaii, this Polynesian athlete was able to accomplish at the U of O. Um, I think that, that, that Oregon had a similar chance to kind of sell that to uh, DJ Ugadelli. Um, unfortunately, like at the time, Clemson was kind of a hot commodity. Obviously, they've, they've, they've fallen down a little bit from where they were with, you know, constantly being like a national title winner or right there in the race. Um, so hopefully Oregon can kind of like, you know, rectify not um, what what they did wrong with Ugadelli in in really trying to sell him on the on that uh, you know Polynesian culture on you know the, the the success that he can have and and the fact that you know coming to the mainland um, it is still West Coast 
So, you know, you're going to have a lot of that, a lot of that kind of culture there. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, again, Oregon situated pretty well, you know, it's a, it's a West coast powerhouse team, um, or, or at least that's how it exists in, in most young people's minds. Again, it kind of blows my mind. Um, and yeah, you know, as, as close to home as you can be and still be on the mainland. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I think that Oregon did, you know, like, I, I think there are some stereotypes to be busted about what kind of roles poly athletes can play, uh, on football. And I think that Oregon and Marcus Mariota played a big role in, in, in breaking those, uh, stereotypes and, 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 and I think that there's some mutual love and respect, um, between Oregon, uh, the Oregon community and the poly community. And, uh, you know, really be great to get Dean on campus. Uh, all right, let's take a break and we'll come back and answer some questions. Okay, Adam, let's open up the mailbag. Uh, always an adventure. Are you excited? <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right, let's go down this thread. Uh, uh, let's see. First question from SportsFan87. Uh, what are you hoping slash expecting to see from the spring game? Um, well, let's see. Uh, obviously, the quarterback competition is a big one. Um, you know, I think it'll be a serious competition. Uh, um, and usually we get some pretty good data from spring games uh, about, like, who's ready to play and, and, and who's not, who, who looks like who's hot and who's not. Um, I think the rest of the offense is pretty much, uh, you know, known quantity at this point, you know, the offensive lines all coming back, uh, you know, very experienced. Everybody's cross training over the last two years, uh, at different positions. Um, you know, losing some, uh, production, uh, from at the running back and wide receivers, but we got lots of great, uh, play from, uh, and lots of great film on the play of, uh, you know, the, the young players, you know, Byron Cardwell and, and Dante Thornton and, and so forth and so on. Um, uh, I was raving about the true freshmen uh, um, who will now be true sophomores, uh, Ferguson and Matafau at tight end positions. Um, you know, it's really just going to come down to, you know, does the quarterback uh, have the it factor and, and you know, our first uh, uh, crack at finding out whether or not uh, who that might be and whether or not they have it is, is going to be in the spring game. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, that's what I'm really going to be watching schematically. Um, I think, you know, linebackers is really just one question, which is whether or not these guys are going to, you know, how healthy they are. Um, it's kind of a binary question. They're healthier. They're not it's one of the reasons why I punted last week on the linebackers things. Just like we'll know, you know, we'll be able to see they're not in walking boots. They are playing because if they're playing, they're super talented. And, you know, if they're healthy enough to play, um, I think personnel wise, I'm really interested in the cornerback position simply because, you know, they're replacing two starters. Uh, they have two guys who, you know, played in the Alma Bowl or a long time, you know, who are backups throughout the, the 2021 season in, uh, in, in Manning and Bridges. Um, but they're bringing in transfer Christian Gonzalez, who was with, uh, the new cornerbacks coach, Demetrius Martin, um, for the last two years, uh, at Colorado. Um, I think that, you know, I'm not sure what the rotation is going to be like at cornerback, but I think the Christian Gonzalez is a former four star and had pretty good um, uh, time at Colorado. I think he's, you know, definitely going to be in the mix. Uh, there's also uh, Vontae Dickerson and Dave Davies. Um, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting, you know, five or six man, you know, uh, puzzle to figure out who's going to emerge as starter. And I'm really interested to see, you know, who's got the lead. Um, and then, you know, as I spent a long time talking about last week, I'm really interested structurally to see what's going to happen on the defensive line, whether or not it's going to be like Oregon has done in the last several years and like what Cal and Nebraska were sort of forced to do, um, which is alternating between a two down and a three down front. Um, 
and, or whether or not Dan Lanning is really going to put his foot down and uh, it's it going to be a mint front, you know, tight front, mint front uh, where it's three down all the time. Because that, if you are able to do that, then it really um, opens up some interesting stuff uh, schematically um, to really, you know, commit to it. That's what I'm paying attention to. Adam, uh, what do you think about the spring game? Um, yeah, I agree with you on a lot of the points. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the, uh, the quarterback competition. Uh, one thing I really definitely uh, want to keep an eye on is um, the wide receivers. Um, I think that this is going to be an interesting time uh, to see which receivers can start to separate themselves a little bit from the pack heading in to the 2022 season. I know, you know, with, with, with losing Devin Williams, uh, with losing Micah Pittman, uh, with losing Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red. I mean, you can go on and on uh, about the just the, the depth. Yeah, there's a lot of production, potential production there that, you know, seems like a pretty big blow. On the other hand, you're totally right about all these, you know, uh, young young kids who are super talented and, like, just look exactly like how wide receivers are supposed to look, like NFL wide receivers are supposed to look, you know? Yeah, so that's 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 definitely something of interest to me to see um, how the, how these kids coming in with more of the prototypical wide receiver look uh, pan out, especially in the wake of the departure of so many of the uh, you know the veteran wide receivers that we had. On, well, they really the stepped up in the Alamo Bowl. I was really encouraged by that performance. You know, not just the true freshman, you know, but also you know um, uh, uh, Chris Hudson and uh, Isaiah Crocker, who sort of like a almost forgot he was on the team. You know, I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, I think Oregon's a good good spot for the wide receivers. Just sort of going to be like you know who emerges, um, and we'll get our you know first look in a little while here. All right. Uh, next question should have been a duck. Uh, it's just me. These ATU question deals feel like we're just fishing for Hithley's passwords. Uh, gosh, I hope I'm smart enough not to give those out. Um, what regression analysis would you employ to erase the last two Utah games in Oklahoma game from my memory? I think that you were confusing regression analysis, which is a statistical modeling method to determine correlations between data sets um, with memory regression, which is a highly disputed and probably fraudulent form of uh, uh, f- memory retrieval um and at any rate that's going backwards that's how you get putatively uh, erased memories not erase memories that are unpleasant uh the utah games sucked uh the oklahoma game i actually found kind of encouraging to be perfectly honest you know given oregon's defensive absences that game went almost exactly as i expected it to and i don't know the reason i write film study articles is, is so that when things go as they ex- i expect i'm at least not feeling anxious about them so my recommendation is to read my articles um uh let's see uh what percentage chance would you give that bone nicks is the starter in the fall boy i don't know um i don't know i don't know maybe 60 percent. you you know he's obviously more experienced than the other two guys in the room but every, you know everybody's a four star i think it'll be a serious competition i don't know i don't want to put down a marker what, what do you think adam yeah um i'm i'm, I'm a bo nix lean right now uh just because of, of his experience level um I think that a, a lot of people during the course of the season were wanting to see more of Thompson, uh, particularly in, 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 in lieu of the way that Anthony Brown was kind of up and down uh, mm. more towards the end of the season, particularly a little more down. And uh, they really wanted to see uh, Thompson get a little more of a shot. I, I kind of agree with a lot of those musings. I think that he did deserve a little bit more time, especially, you know, in, 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 in garbage time against Utah, both times when it was obvious that there, there wasn't going to be any big comeback, that there, you know, 
uh, throw the kid into the fire per se a little bit, you know, give him a chance to get that experience. Justin Herbert had to face uh, one of the most stacked Washington teams of the, you know, the last 20 years in his very first start at, at Autzen Stadium. And, uh, you know, you, you look at the way he responded. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't really shut him down psychologically. Yeah, I I, I get that. Like, uh, that there's, there's sort of two schools of thought on the question, you know, whether or not, you know, throwing in a kid before he's ready, it will break him psychologically that, that he – that you might have been able to avoid that. Um, or the other school of thought is that like, he's, he's either ready or he'll never be ready. You know, he's either born ready or he'll never be ready. And there's no in between. Um, I don't know. I don't know which one of those I subscribe to. Um, I sort of feel like, th- I, I guess I'll say this, the fact that the previous staff did not, bench Brown in favor of Thompson, I don't think means anything about Thompson or Butterfield. I I think that's more a reflection of the previous staff's conservatism um, on a number of different questions. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think that Joe Moorhead is a great quarterbacks coach, which is something that I've sort of been talking about more and more extensively. But like, I, I think he's a, a great play caller. But as if you just look at the one sub role of what he has to do, which is also be the quarterbacks coach, I think if you look at his career, like he didn't really do a great job of either selecting or developing quarterbacks. Um, and I, I sort of think it's interesting that Mario Cristobal, one of his most recent moves is hiring a separate offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Um, I sort of wish Oregon would do that. All, you know, it's not what they're doing, but anyway, um, I, I don't think that we can read anything into that. Like, I think that even if, you know, Butterfield or Thompson were totally ready to go and totally ready to lead Oregon to glory that you wouldn't know it, you know, because of the way the previous staff made decisions. So we're just going to have to wait for a real competition and, and that'll start soon. Uh, all right. Next question. Uh, Katie in 75 wants to know uh, why I don't answer every single question that's asked. I feel like that one is uh, obvious. Um, uh, and, and in addition to the fact that I, you know, some questions are silly uh, and some of the questions are just inappropriate is the fact that like a lot of questions are just going to be answered in the fullness of time, right? Like, you know, the spring game is going to give us the answers to a lot of questions like, are the linebackers healthy, you know, or like, I'm just going to, you know, you know, Hey, how are a PAC 12 teams going to do? Well, I don't know. I'm going to write an article about them in two months. Like, why don't you ask me in two months? Uh, like, you know, be, be patient. Um, let's see. Tim asks, where's the beef? Cows have beef. Um, let's see. Cordial duck. Oh, here's a basketball question. Uh, Adam, uh, has the chase. Ooh, this is a real like profound philosophical question. I'm interested in your take on this one. Cordial duck wants to know, uh, has the chase for star re- recruit talent reduced the coachability or cohesion of the men's basketball? team what do you think i mean that's that's an that's an interesting way to put it um i think that uh this coming season will be uh, a, a big telltale on that um i think that in 2019 we had a great opportunity to see how that would how that would come about with the addition of bowl bowl um, and then obviously we had, you know, a fellow st- five-star Louis King and, um, you know, through a lot of that season it you know, uh, uh, Troy Brown Jr. never really kind of like, you know, developed into quite the player Oregon thought he was going to develop into, although he was very proficient, you know, he was a, you know, an NBA pick and everything like that. 
uh, we, we didn't see like kind of like that super stardom out of it. Uh, the following year, uh, Louis King really, he really started to, to, to come into his own during that, that, that kind of historic run. Uh, but I think it was kind of overshadowed a little bit by the play of Peyton Pritchard, just because you know, mm. Pritchard being the, you know, the upperclassman stepped up his game so much um, that it uh, overshadowed that a little bit. So we don't have a, a lot to look at and be like, well, here's a clear example of where Altman has coached a superstar level player, you know, right up to his abilities. And you mean like, like get the We're shoe get the deal chance. from Nike kind of superstar? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We're we're gonna get that chance this coming season. Um, Khalil Ware is, I mean, from everything I've heard, he is he's just rocketing up uh, the rankings. He is being looked at as as absolutely one of the. Uh, top recruits in the country. He is a consensus five-star across all three platforms. And um, then you have Dior Johnson, who's, you know, right right up there too. And um, I think that both of these players, especially at the positions they play, at the point guard and center positions, I think they really have a chance to easily be superstar players. And um, we're going to get that chance to see how Altman handles that kind of talent and, and whether he can... And I, uh, you know, maybe I'm a little biased just, you know, being a Duck fan and, and, and seeing what Altman has done for our program. Um, I, I don't think it'll be a, a problem for Altman to coach a superstar incoming freshman to the best of their abilities. Well, I mean, at the very least, you know, I don't think the genie's going back in the bottle or at least not until the NBA um, gets rid of the, you know, one year college mandate, you know, that this is what top level basketball is going to look like. It's going to look like transfers and star chasing and, you know, trying to assemble a team, you know, from, you know, from a bunch of egos, uh, you know, of, of top level players, as opposed to, you know, recruiting, a, you know, a, a bunch of good players and developing, or you know, so that as juniors and seniors, you know, they're, they're the backbone of your team. Like, um, you know, that model, I just don't think that Oregon basketball is going to be that, you know, until there's some structural changes, you know, so like, God, you better hope that, you know, that this works out because I don't think there's an alternative, you know, is that your opinion about how men's basketball is going? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, like I said, it's, 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 it's kind of an unknown right now. Um, but yeah, we are definitely entering, you know, kind of like a different era. Um, per se, where you you just see a lot of incoming superstars that are just kind of one and done. Um, you know, they're 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 there for a hot second, then they're gone. Um, yeah. So the the real question is 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 like, are we going to start seeing that consistently from yeah. Oregon, the way we see it so consistently from programs like Arizona, from programs like you know Duke and Kentucky? Yeah, you know, I, I just think just, the Kentuckyification of of men's college basketball is complete. And we're, you know, we're just not going back. Like if there's, you know, a suggestion, like maybe college basketball would be better if, you know, it's nothing but four year players and that, you know, the superstars just go straight from high school to the NBA. I think there's actually a really strong argument that's the case, but like just structurally, that's not, that's just not what's happening. The NBA has a rule that says you can't do that. Uh, 
you know, and I, in my opinion, until the NBA changed that rule, like we're, we're all Kentucky now. Uh, all right. Trainers duck wants to know what are the odds that uh, Thompson or Butterfield transfers after the spring game uh, and who would be most likely to go um, after the spring game. I don't think that anybody's leaving after the spring game. I mean, unless the spring game is just like a total showcase for a, a certain quarterback and it becomes very obvious. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think at the end of the 2022 season, if one of the three four stars in the room doesn't get any playing time that that guy may take off because he's still going to have a couple of years of eligibility. But, you know, if it's not going to be in the cards at Oregon and, you know, it's not going to be in the cards. Um, but after the spring game, nah, I don't really see it happening. I mean, I guess Butterfield, if anybody does, Butterfield's him because he's, you know, the, the longest in the tooth without any um, significant playing time yet. But like, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that's that that's far from from saying it's definitely going to happen. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I don't think you're often going to see lots of transfers after the spring game. Uh, point in case last year in the spring game, uh, Robbie Ashford balled out. Yeah. And a lot of people were like, wow, who's that kid? Uh, fast forward to 2022. He, yeah. he falls way down the depth chart to you know last place. And then ends up transferring. I mean, uh, so. I think there will be departures after the spring game simply because that, you know, that's the world we live in now. But like that's uh, the quarterback room doesn't look like a like that situation. Um, no, no. All right. St. Quack wants to know, what should we know the name the ATQ NIL scholarship? Boy, uh, I, I don't know about sponsoring a player. How about sponsoring some of the writers for this website? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I think we have I think we have the strongest staff of any of the Pac-12 uh, SB Nation sites, to be perfectly honest. Like I, I look around most of the staffs and and like I, I think we have really tremendous uh, staff at ATQ. And I, I think that everybody should be paid a lot more. Uh, and, and give your money to us. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dan Fouts Beard wants to know, uh, if I could travel back in time to sporting events you missed, which one are you intend? Ooh. Ooh, Jesse Owens. That'd be a good one. Uh, Rumble in the Jungle, another good nominee. Uh, I'm not a fan of golf, so I don't care about Tiger. Uh, let's see. Most improbable finish to a football game. I, I watched that one live. Um, I don't think you were alive yet, Adam. Or were you? <laughs> Not sure. Depends on what era we're talking about. Uh, the 1994 uh, Kenny Wheaton. Oh yeah, I mean, I was a I was a little kiddo, but I was mm-hmm. around. Uh, yeah, no sports. Uh, boy, if I had a time machine, I, I don't know. Going back and seeing, you know, pretty big uh, sporting events may not be my number one thing that I would do, but it'd be up there on the list. Like sporting events are, uh, they're obviously they're embedded in human culture. Um, and they're intrinsically political. I, I think the suggestion of like, it would be fun to watch a bunch of Nazis be astonished at Jesse Owens. Like, yeah, man, I might like to see that live. Uh, let's see. Well, last question uh, is why didn't the Lord let coach Karen, I am assuming this is a reference to coach Krzyzewski at Duke, uh, win his final Duke game. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. I can't speak in favor of, or on behalf of the almighty. Um, Let's see, check Twitter. Eh, nothing came in on Twitter. North, right. North Carolina just played better. That's what happened. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have to tell you, man. Like, it, yeah. it, you know, two blue bloods going at it. Like, and, and you know, if, 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 you know, if you, you, 
like those guys are crazy. That's specifically the name of their fans. Uh, all right. That's it for the mailbag. And I think that's it for your first podcast ever. How would you uh, rate the experience, Adam? A uh, great experience. I uh, really enjoyed talking. Um, like I said, hope, hopefully, uh, everybody's kind to me still, still a little bit of a novice on this, but, uh, had a great time. Uh, went went very smoothly, and uh, looking forward to participating again in the near future. All right, Adam, I, I'm looking forward to. Take care. All right, thanks.